The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the podcast today. And not going to lie, doing this podcast feels like trying to drag yourself off a canvas after being hit by a bus every week. And uh, I'm sure you feel the same way too. We're going to be discussing Fulham's draw at Arsenal, a 97th minute equaliser from the Gunners, Rob's Fulham of what would have been a vital three points maybe not a deserved three points but in the scenario who would have cared six points from safety and all our rivals have games in hand on us i mean we said it was bleak last week we said it was bleak the week before and once again it somehow found a way to be even bleaker especially with newcastle's win against west ham yesterday um here to drown their sorrows with me at least we can go to the pub for that now cam ramsey hi Mark Adin of Ellis. Good evening. And Ben Jarman. Hello, Sammy. I'm actually really, really glad to be on because Cam and Marco are actually two of my favourite people to listen to on pod. So it's good to be on one with both of them. Well, I like that. Oh, very kind. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, I'm I'm dumbfounded by that statement because I'm crap at talking about football. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Let, yeah, let's end it there. <laughs> Don't put yourself down, Cam. You're great. Okay, well, let's do some three-word reviews. Jarms, what came in? Okay, uh, so we'll try and go in chronological order. Um, and we'll start with towing relegation line in reference to Danny Tavares' uh, goal that was ruled out via VAR. Uh, we then had uh, Why Seven Minutes from Frank Miller. Uh, Ruben yeah. Costas Cheek from Jack Kelly, which I thought is great. <laughs> great from JK. <laughs> great from JK. Um, that is astonishing. It's <laughs> really good. Really, really good from JK. Um, then we had this podcast's name from Chad Perris. We had That Hurt Lots from Luca Lele, also known as Lucas. Definitely follow him on, on Twitch if you can. Good streamer. Um, and then we've got uh, Extra Time Torture from Katie Fazak. And I'd like to um, round it off with Most Heroic Relegation from Archie Rind Toot, who my phone has actually um, changed by autocorrect to Archie Rind Tuft, which I actually think is probably a really nice name for Archie. <laughs> <laughs> Riff Tuft. <laughs> Change it by Depot, Archie. You heard it here first. Um, right, let's get into it then. Um, it was a really, really bleak result. Obviously, it was all looking good for so, such a long time. Josh Madge's penalty after Lamina was fouled by Gabrielle and Fulham held on and they held on and they held on. And Cam, well, if we were kicked in the nuts against Wolves, then we might as well have just been hit by a bus today. Mm, well, it's the whole... Hello, hello darkness my old friend kind of situation isn't it is yeah. a real sucker punch against Wolves with Adama Traore finding the net after 16 months of doing absolutely nothing in baby oil and you know <laughs> hold, hold, holding Arsenal at bay a team which obviously swept uh, Slavia Prague aside 4-0 midweek at Cantor as well they looked absolutely phenomenal going forward and we, we held them at bay and we just didn't have enough in the tank to you know really restrain and contain them for 30 seconds before the final whistle is it was one of those moments where I hate to say but you could actually see it coming just because of the fact it's Fulham and this is our story and that, that that's exactly how the season's panned out for us we just don't get any breaks especially in North London so 
what can you say, guys? You know, I, I, I'm actually sick and tired of talking about it already. So I'm just going to pass it on, honestly. Marco, to, to take the word straight out of Jack J. Collins's Twitter, who said, only those who suffer truly learn to love and boy are Fulham suffering at the moment. It has just been setback after setback, hasn't it? They're very nice and poetic. Um, yeah, there, there was so much about this game that I didn't like. Um, Granite Jacker would be the first thing. Thoroughly <laughs> awful individual. Um, and then it, it just a game where it's completely dominated by, by VAR. So you're spending half the game looking at sort of Hawkeye graphics of whether someone's of toenail or hand or, or foreskin is on or offside. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Marco, that got me big time, bro. <laughs> yeah, feel free to edit, edit that out. Um, no, 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 no. It's, very much, it's that staying in. That is 100% staying in. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's not what I'm, what I'm watching football for. Um, but also just looking at the bigger picture. Um, so Parker's 100th game as manager. I think I've enjoyed maybe five of them. It's, um, you know, the football that we're playing, what's actually happening on the pitch for those 90 to 97 minutes, game after game. It's just boring. I don't have a more eloquent way to describe it. And so against Arsenal, as we do in every single game we play, we went in to try and keep it nil-nil for as long as possible, try and nick something, rely on one moment um out of, of luck like we got and it was just a wasted opportunity because I, I don't buy that Arsenal are, are, have, have been a good team I think they're just I think Arsenal crap really and you know they had Zachary left back their players rested they just played in Europe this was a an opportunity I think the the um comedy duo of uh Keane and uh Rich had said it before the game like this is this was an opportunity to go out and have a go and play with a bit of freedom um but we didn't do that at all. We were never going to. Um, and, you know, forget about the the heartache at the end. That, that's what happens when you set yourself up to, to hold out from the start of the game. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a pretty boring relegation season, just like our promotion season was quite a boring promotion season too. I mean, Joms, the thing is with Parker's system... I do understand it. I do get that it can sometimes breed results. And you saw it in action today. We we made the game a really boring, horrible affair. And Fulham got their one chance. It came from the spots. It was a bit of a dodgy penalty, but it wasn't overturned by VAR. And I could I see why they didn't overturn it. Like, yes, Lamina goes down softly, but it's not a clear and obvious error. We get ourselves 1-0 in front. But it has its flaw because ultimately Fulham are not good enough at this level to keep holding on and get clean sheets. We were good enough at championship level to hold on and get clean sheets. But just you've seen it against Villa. You kind of saw it against Wolves, although we didn't have the goal to protect against Wolves. And you saw it again today. Just time after time after time, Fulham are not good enough to hold on to leads. And if a team like Spurs, with all the money and resources they have, are not good enough to hold on to leads, then surely it stands to reason that a team with Fulham with far less resources, um, far weaker players, and that's no disrespect, aren't able to hold on either. Yeah, I mean, there's something there's something to be said for the system 
uh, and wanting to play almost like system ball, if you know what I mean. So like you see it all over Europe, the, the teams that play a certain way and they get results and then that's just the way they are. But I think that Fulham, I, I think that the idea today was to was to revert back to that five at the back and then try and contain Arsenal as much as possible. I mean, it, it's, it would be very harsh to say that Arsenal had a B team out, but they definitely, as we've alluded to, made lots of changes. But I do think there's a lot of quality in there. You have to look at Emile Smith-Rowe. Uh, the performance that Lacazette put in midweek, although when you get Lacazette and he's angry, Lacazette, he's a whole different kettle of fish. Like um, He wasn't very angry today, so therefore he was useless. I think that's that's the um, the equation you look at with Lacazette. You know, anger times goals equals good Lacazette. You know, no <laughs> anger times no goals equals normal Lacazette. Um uh, and I guess Parker wanted to come out there and keep things tight and and nick it, and uh, and I can see why because we needed the we needed the points more than ever. Obviously, with Newcastle's result yesterday and our shocking result against Wolves, but I think yeah, there is something to be said about allowing way too much pressure on yourselves. There is absolutely no way to remedy a goal that late if you've if you if you've tried to absorb as much pressure as possible. There's no way to counter. I think one of the problems systematically is that this five at the back allows for them to be pushed so far into their own box that um, there's there's no way of remedying uh, a deeper cross, you know, across across the six yard box. It allows players to crowd out the keeper, and ultimately that's where their their goal has come from. Um, it means that they they can almost play through Fulham at will, and it means that on the counter we just don't have the legs to be effective. And I think that. Um, Whoever was doing our, our Twitter throughout the, the game tweeted out a picture of a, tur- a tortoise and was like, Fulham's attack. And that, that is completely true. Like, it's very slow, it's very languid, and we don't have many legs up there. And I think that's purely because we are so far back that when we try and counter, it's almost toothless. And there's only one man that can do it for us, and that's Adamola Lookman. Yeah, I mean, let's come on to a certain substitute appearance, Cam. And I've been really reticent all season to hammer Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I do think that a couple of times this season, he's been unfairly scapegoated. I think a couple of times this season, he's put in performances that, that warrant him starting in this team. But the substitute performance we saw today was abysmal. I'm talking Andre Scherler at Huddersfield, abysmal. And that touch in the 95th minute where he could have done anything he could have booted it up the pitch he could have just tried to hold the ball win a free kick do anything if anything he could have just touched the ball but he let it go out for a throw and from there the pressure came the pressure came and obviously we know what happened in the end but every time he touched the ball today he lost it 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 was a fraud's performance today wasn't it and i know that's harsh but that's that's how i feel well that's exactly how i feel it mirrors my emotion towards the man so I think it's an absolute waste of space and uh, it's such 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 a shame that he has a squad member for us because I you know when, when he first came beginning of the season I was full of optimism I was buzzing that we had you know a England international coming into the squad which is looking to get back to their former past glories and you know the, the form that goes with it too but he's completely choked at every single opportunity this year to make an impact and uh, potentially even work his way back into Thomas Tuchel's team next season. I see him being a completely lost entity in the Premier League. I don't know what the future holds for him, but it certainly isn't going to be a Fulham and good riddance to him because, like you say, today he came on with 
the intention, I suppose, from Scott Parker with his little notepad there before he comes onto the pitch, basically, to be a nuisance, to be more conserved, um, players that strange kind of, you know, false nine kind of character up top and try to make something happen and be the instigator. But the only thing he did was warrant a, warrant a draw for us. And it's a draw that feels like a loss too. And that's the most uh, dejecting thing about it. We still picked up a point, but it was at Ruben Loftus-Cheek's detriment that we ended up basically throwing away two extra points. And this because he's got absolutely abysmal game management. It was even before that we saw him pick up the ball. He looked sluggish. He looked plodding. Um, didn't look very inspired at all. And trying to weave around players at a, a slug's pace, getting dispossessed, sort of trudging after you know the ball in retreat, not really making too much of an expansive effort to get back and support. That is just sums up the man perfectly. And you know we we see it on social media all the time. Whenever he has a bad game, of course. We are, you know, we, we, we're, we're liable to dig the man out because, I'm sorry, but in a professional game, if you have a bad performance, you deserve to know you have a bad performance. And writing my articles every single week like I do, I seem to have a section reserved for Ruben Loftus-Cheek just because every single time he touches the ball, he, he, he has a shocker. It's a clang of performance and I have no respect for the guy anymore and I just want him to leave the club and... Uh, yeah, move on from it because he's he's a curse, just like Andre Scherler was. Yeah, I think he's very much going to go down in the annals of history in the uh, in the Andre Scherler folder that uh, exists there. I think maybe Costas Matroglu probably finds his yeah. way into that folder as well. I mean, Marco Fulham really weren't managing the game well in those final few minutes were we of course we mentioned the loftus cheek um miscontrol that that goes out just before the crosses that come in but also you know bobby reed he has so much time when that cross comes in there's no one near him and he panics no one just shouts bobby time i mean literally basic stuff and he clears it out for a corner it isn't actually that first corner that the goal comes from but it's the second one flicks off the head of matty ryan of all fucking people people <laughs> um and then obviously ends up in the goal i wanted to get your thoughts on the goal itself scott parker was livid so was Ariola. that the rob holding wasn't called offside for interfering with play do you think parker and Ariola had a point um they might have had a point for for that goal he was standing right in front of the the keeper but i mean we were pretty lucky throughout the game with, with decisions. Um, so I don't think he, he want to sort of hang his hat on it. You know, it's that small moment in the game is not the reason that we've missed out on multiple points this season. Um, and you invite pressure and you ask for it and, you know, trust Fulham to be the team that the one time a keeper comes up and actually does something, it's against us. Like when, how many times do you see a keeper come up and sort of run around with their arms flapping and don't, do anything but Ryan got in there I knew he I thought thought he'd have an impact on the game in, in some way I thought he might do us a favor but um he uh did quite the opposite at the other end so yeah it's just disappointing and and we've done it many times before um just just thinking about um you mentioned Lacazette has to be really angry uh, in order to play well what what sort of mood could uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek get in to sort of for him to play away? You know, how far 
do we take it with motivating him for a game? You know, do we need to really, I don't know, are there some sort of torture techniques we need to mm. consider <laughs> what sort of mood will will get him? But, but I suppose also that the positive of if he does end up being like Scherler is that he, he'll retire in a couple of years um, <laughs> have have a much you know, happy life um, after football. <laughs> Well, a bit like Andre Scherler, Ruben Loftus-Cheek could probably retire in a couple of years, know that he's got two million Instagram followers and just be a model and live off it. He, you know, he's, what what motivation can you make for, for Loftus-Cheek to, to get him playing? I, I mean, um, Jarms, I want to get your thoughts on, on the equaliser as well. Like, did you think that Fulham had a point that it could be offside? I mean, Parker was livid, but do you think Parker was clutching at straws a bit? No, I, I do genuinely think there is a there is a legitimate argument here f- to say that Rob Holding, I think it's Rob Holding in, anyway, yeah, it is is. Uh, it is is interfering with play. He's clearly in the eyesight, or if not the at the very least, the peripheral vision of Alphonse Areola, and uh, makes a concerted effort to try and redirect the ball, um, d- like during the, the phase of the shot. So I, I, I do think that there there was a case. Um, Obviously, with a decision like this, I think it all comes down to the the opinion of of whoever's in charge of VAR this time. But I think if we're looking at the letter of the law, maybe Arsenal have been very fortuitous there. But again, I mean, over the past sort of like four or five weeks, how fortuitous have Fulham been with some of the VAR decisions we've had? Um, notably, the, the Wolves header that was ruled out for no reason whatsoever. Um, <laughs> I think most of everyone's come to that conclusion. But no, I, I do feel like there is a there is a, a concerted ultimate argument. Sorry, that that uh, that Rob Holding uh, was interfering with play, and therefore the goal should have been ruled out. Yeah, I mean, Cam Fulham obviously did take the opportunity when it came, and and Major slotted home that penalty really, really nicely. <sighs> A point is better than none, but is is it is it done now? Like we talked about last week, like oh maybe it's not done, and someone like Drew was saying, I can't accept that it's done until it's mathematical. Newcastle winning now means it's eight points to them. They do still have tough games. I don't know. I feel like we can. I keep using the phrase clutching at straws, but it seems to be so suitable in so many ways at the moment. Is it? Are we just doing ourselves more harm mentally by trying to think that there's still a way that Fulham could get out of this? Well, we spoke obviously before we started recording the pod today that it's hard to put your finger on our situation really at the moment when you've got teams around you such as Newcastle that have two games in hand on you, and like you say, they're they're miles they're miles ahead of us now in terms of you know points point stacks and whatever. Um, so we really need them to play out their games in hand to really see where we, where we are, more or less, in comparison to our relegation rivals. But we are doing ourselves a disservice with the way that we approach games offensively, being tentative on the break. And, yeah, as we've already alluded to, literally having nobody up top to appropriate when we try to build meaningful you know, phases and situations where something could happen. I mean, what what did really we really have today to to kind of feed off you we had Madger's deflected trickler in the first half and we had yeah a beautifully dispatched penalty but one that I thought was ballooned over you know I thought it maybe put a little bit too much beans on it um but that's <laughs> that's that's literally all we had though and is that sustainable is that going to, is that going to save us is it healthy for us to ride each game in that kind of you know 
dejected manner and we are done there's nobody out there that's going to convince me otherwise that we can drag ourselves out of this situation not even the old you know the old Dunkirk spirit and you know the great escape and all that kind of bullshit that goes with it I'm sorry this team's done out and um, <laughs> we've only scored 25 goals all season I think it is you know in a team which has obviously had their problems defensively as well we tightened up and I thought today actually structurally we were a lot more promising and we kept a very, you know, it's, it's an up and down Arsenal squad, but one which also has a lot of threat going forward at bay for a majority of the game, of course. But I don't want to see that each week. I want exciting football back. I don't want a regressive style in the Premier League. And I'd much rather have championship football back where we're actually a big fish again or, you know, a contender. And yeah, get me to Ewood Park next season, basically. So I'm just get actually absolutely trashed. Yeah. yeah, I think the the one saving grace is that we've still got Burnley to play in the running, mm. and they're, they're six points ahead of us. If you win, if you win that game, feasibly you're three points behind them. Um, Burnley still have a game in hand, though. Yeah, but they are catchable. So they don't win that game in hand, and we beat them. That's three points. If if we'd have won today, they've just lost against Manchester United. They would, they would only be uh, four points ahead of us. I believe, yeah, three three points. There's silver linings to everything, you know. There's there's arguments of both sides, obviously, but 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 for me, we've we, we've squandered so many opportunities to you know really press ourselves on you know impress ourselves onto a game and to take it by the scruff and assert ourselves, draw out a wider margin, you know, even just have more shots on target and look a bit more convincing, and we just don't we we don't understand. We haven't read the memo, so. For me, no, uh, uh, we're, we're completely gone, and uh, I'm I'm gone with it as well. To be quite honest with you, at the moment, <laughs> <laughs> do you think we can beat Burnley at home? Like, I've got more confidence with us going into a, an away game at Arsenal or at, or at a bigger team away mm. than I do at any home game. Like, who have we beaten this season? We've beaten better teams away or absolute dross at home. Yeah. And Burnley are decent. <laughs> I don't think we beat Burnley at home. Probably draw nil nil. Well, we got, um, we got, yeah. I mean, we got trounced in the FA Cup by them as well. I know it was a weakened squad, but that was disgusting to view as well. You know, two Premier League squads that were going out there, and one of them looked like they were, um, they were playing with armbands on. Basically, it was a bit strange. You know, it's men against boys, and I can see it happening exactly the same way when we face them in, in the next coming weeks, sadly. Mm. And I guess the problem is, and Marco, I think you're 100% right. I thought Fulham. I, I don't know why I was weirdly confident that Fulham would get something out of today because I do actually think that Fulham set themselves up really well to, you know, absorb pressure and be the the weaker side. Like I was fairly confident, of course, yes, Nketiah's goal was a real disappointment and, and a real blow and has probably cost us our place or any chance of staying in the league. But you're 100% right. This team cannot play on the front foot and play the the dominant and being the dominant team in a match and so yeah going into a home game against Burnley no I'm not that confident I actually wouldn't be surprised if Fulham uh, get a draw or something out of the Chelsea game in a couple of weeks in sandwiched in between their two Champions League matches against Real Madrid where they'll undoubtedly drop some of their star players I wouldn't be surprised but then I really wouldn't be surprised and and we said this on Thursday's pod about going to Burnley or Southampton games where Fulham were expected to be on top and actually getting three points that that's where my confidence lacks completely yeah no I've, I've I've been looking at this Arsenal game for a long time looking at it as a game that we could win like I'm 
I'm from North London. I can see the Emirates from from my house. I know just how shit and fragile <laughs> Arsenal are. And I love that you are. You're more of a, you get a, a qualification to comment on how shit Arsenal are. I've been monitoring. You can, see yeah. it win- you can see it from your window. <laughs> you just know when you see the Emirates lights on. You just know. Oh God, something's going down there. Tim and, it's, and it's Tim Pot. It's not pretty. Um, yeah, I've been looking, and I thought I actually thought even after what we did at Wolves and Villa, I thought this game, we could actually get something out of it. And that's why it's such a missed opportunity, not just because we lost out in the last minute like we did, but I just think we could have gone out and and played a bit. I don't think Arsenal are are that great defensively that we couldn't have taken it to them and and been a bit more expansive on the break. And I just, yeah, and talking about, you know, are we down or not, the, the nature of what's happened in the last two games, I think will just kill kill the squad and whatever you know slowly people are going to start doubting Parker's system and setup and he's done he's done a great job in convincing the team that, that his way is the right way but you just start to see it potentially I don't want to uh, sort of uh, say something where there's nothing there but just Anderson's interview at the end he's he's really frustrated and talking about his frustration at, about the lack of chances the team's creating you know they're defending very well but nothing happening up front you can just sense from him how much how much he cares it's great about how frustrated he is at the way things are going and yeah I think that is just killing the confidence and you just look at the fixtures ahead like who who are we gonna we got to win two games basically um we got to win one game before the last game at least and, and where's that going to come it's it's tough to, to see where that's going to be I think it's Great escape volume two in terms of what Fulham need to do. It's win four of the last five. And that's exactly what we did in 07, 08. But this time I don't see it happening. And maybe, maybe it's possible. You don't rule anything out, but that is what Fulham have to do. Win four out of the last five and possibly win the fifth. Like, I mean, win all five and you get above 40 points. That that probably would see you safe. But can I see us winning five games when we've won five all season? Not sure, just five. compare the players for, for the two yeah. the two relegation seasons. Like we probably didn't realise it at the time, but our squad then and the characters and personalities, you know, Danny Murphy, you know, the 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 players that we had in that team compared to what we have now. We we used to have Brian McBride back then. Yeah. Like uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And now we got a team full of lone players and Ruben Loftus cheek, like there's no comparison. <laughs> no, no. I still maintain that I think that some of the quality of our squad is is uh, comparable with that team. But as you say, the heart, the desire. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not 100 percent sure I see it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to answer some of your questions. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Cam. All right, Marco. Hello, and Ben. Wagwan Mandem. <laughs> Or VHR, as he's called himself on the uh, on the system that we use today uh, for recording the pod. Very, very good. And, and VAR has very much been our friend, hasn't it, Jarms? I mean, like, last few games, I know you mentioned it earlier with the William Jose header, but today with Ceballos' header, um, the penalty as well was a really tight call that went in our favour. Lamina, I mean, someone... I, I, you can look at it two ways. You can obviously look at it in a positive way that somebody in the VAR control room is obviously a Fulham fan. But you can also look at it that someone in the VAR control room just wants to prolong our agony, don't they? As if like it's Chinese water torture almost, or give give them some more faint <laughs> uh, give them some more faint hope. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think someone in there is definitely something to do with Fulham. I mean, they've been very, 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 well, not harsh on us, but they've been very much on our side the last few decisions that <laughs> Fulham have had to face. I don't know if it's, is Stockley Park somewhere near Fulham? Like, it's like Hillingdon area, isn't it? Is that around Fulham? I have yeah, no yeah, idea. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not just, it's not far off the M25 in West London. I mean, I, I didn't necessarily make a direct connection between the two, but you never know. Could be someone infiltrating. Yeah, correlation. Yeah, we've got an insider. Ali Mack is actually head of VAR. <laughs> That's why we haven't heard from him for a while. He's actually just yeah. been like infiltrating the, the works at Stockley Parks, infecting the water or something like that. He's there with a gun behind the head of everyone in the VAR box for our games. Maybe Tony so, um, Khan fits yeah. them a new carpet and that's why they're in our good books. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Khan gave them all a subscription to AEW and now they're just in our pocket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, now the opposite effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but he could teach them how to waterproof a carpet. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> yeah. Can teach them all how to do a choke slam in a uh, beautifully carpeted <laughs> arena. Okay, let's come on to some of your questions. Um, start off with Michelle Ababa, uh, who says, I'm not depressed by today's result. I knew we were going to concede late. Question for Sunday's pod. Do you think Anguissa will stay with us when we get relegated as it's no longer a matter of if, but when? If he does, how do you think he'll do in the championship? Uh, Cam, can you see Anguissa staying? Personally, I can't. No. <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's completely that's completely fantastical, isn't it? To even think that he's going to consider staying in the champion championship. Well, when... I mean, look, you know, a player like Emmy Buendia has stayed at Norwich this season, right? Like, who is clearly way oh. too good for Norwich. I mean, stranger things have happened if he can't find a move. But I do also agree it's unlikely. Oh, I'm sorry, but the, the guys, the guy, if he gets an offer, let's say Villarreal come back in for him, they love the guy. You reckon he's going to turn down? You know, Emery's uh, yellow submarine for. Um, a really, really cold, horrible, dreary night in Stoke next season. Um, and we can get, how much do you reckon we get for Anguissi? Like in this current market, mate, I don't know, 20 million, 25 million for a player like him with his potential, his age as well, and what he can bring to an elite squad. Um, no way, he's gone. And uh, that would be the same story for a lot of our star players as well. It'll be a rebuilding uh, process for us next season. Yeah, I mean, Jarms, Mitch Sloan on a similar vein says, how does the squad look for next season? Concerning that we only have Reed, Tosin and Robinson who started today, I think he means going on into next season. I mean, there is more than that, but I guess he's looking at maybe some of the kind of key players who you'd be really happy to hang on to. Obviously, Lone FC is going to get broken up big time next year and none of them are going to stay. It's going to be a big rebuilding job. Yeah, I think there's going to be swaves and swaves of transfers down at Fulham next year. I think we've got so many people that aren't that don't need to be at the club anymore on such bloated contracts that I think you'll also see them go as well. So I think it's it's not going to be a case of looking for someone like Lamina to go with sellable assets that we have, potentially Mitrovic, um and a couple more, maybe Tosin might get a Premier League move back up to the Premier League and we could make a, a tidy profit on the two million. But I think you'll also be seeing people like Stephanie Hansen going. I think you'll see Dennis Doy going. I think you'll see the end of Tim yeah. Ream because these guys are, you know, they have a couple of years left on their contracts. They're on fairly big wages. And I think that can also count for Niskins Cabano as well. And I think that you you really have to look at this Fulham squad to see that it is literally, there is a golfing quality between some of the people that we do have, like some of the players, sorry, that we do have. So 
obviously like Anderson and, and Totin are, are head and shoulders above Hector and Ream. Um, and it doesn't take a genius to work that one out. And I, I think that you'll, you'll be seeing su- such an overhaul at Fulham because I think the identity of the club has eroded away. And I think that there is a question later on that we'll get into, but you know, immediate short-termism over the last two years has um, eroded all of the good work that had gone to uh, gone into building a balanced and well-rounded squad under previous management. And I think that now it could be a couple of years of, not poverty, but I think it could be a couple of years of, of struggling in the championship, trying to establish ourselves with potentially younger players with, with, more, of a, with more of an identity. I also think it'll be, you know, thankfully, the end of Anthony Knockout as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there there is some way you say that, Jarvis, but I also think about next year and I think about our back five and what it could potentially be in terms of, you know, permanent players. Yes, some of them may get moves, but I feel like not necessarily. And you could potentially have a back five next year of Marek Rodak, Anthony Robinson slash Joe Bryan, Terence Kingolo, Tosin Adarabayo and Kenny Tete. Like, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that Kenny Tete doesn't get a move considering he signed permanently and Fulham would be under no obligation to to let him go. And that's a, I mean, that's a hell of a defence. And if you just upgrade in some of the attacking areas, you know, bring in an Adam Armstrong or something like that from from Blackburn, then all of a sudden it's not all looking that bleak. Well, I do think we have to temper our our, our um, expectations, though, because I think that there is a big financial black hole at Fulham waiting to open up. And I think that if FFP is enforced, which I think is slightly up in the air at the moment, then Fulham are, to put it quite brutally, are up shit street. They are they are fucked. Um, financially, we haven't got many sellable assets. We, are, we owe lots of money on players. Um, we're not going to make a huge amount of money because obviously the last year... We haven't had any fans in the ground whatsoever. We haven't been able to sell tickets. Yeah, we got um, a club record um, agreement with Bet Victor, but I, I mean, I can't see us being that well equipped to like go out and get a player like Adam Armstrong. I think we'll be looking at potentially players or offshoots from other people's academies in the same way that we did with Tosin. We might be looking at Norrington Davis, for example, I think is um, on loan in the championship from Leicester's academy. There's no there's no reason why we couldn't go out and pursue a player like that. But I also think there'll be some of the faces that have been around Fulham for, uh, as we said, four or five years, going back to that first playoff run that, that depart. And I think there are a few players there with, with struggling, struggling with injuries on big contracts as well that may see their time at Fulham not come to an end, but maybe, maybe decline in the next couple of years. Well, we got a swimming pool there. It's not all bad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <a> negative picture. <laughs> we have Fulham Pier. I mean, Marco, um, what's your thoughts on 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 next season and and the state of Fulham squad? Yeah, I mean, just based on what Ben was was saying there, it just struck me that we'll have sort of Seri as a trade cartista playing behind. Abubakar Kamara up front for the season it sounds like stuff of nightmares um, yeah I, I mean I think it's the right thing to do to get I, I would hate because we do have an a, a and B team at Fulham and it was really clear at the start of the season I think it was the Sheffield United away game where the new players came in and they were just so much better than than uh, our existing squad uh, so I do think it's the right thing not to just go back to to the old team and start having a team with with Knocker and Janssen and uh, you know Lamarchand in it um, we need to to keep building and, and freshen things up and change um, 
but it's, it's going to be a challenge. It is the, the really disappointing thing about this whole season is how it is a wasted opportunity because of the, the players that we've managed to bring in and the quality we have and the fact we, we are going to lose them. And so this, this whole Tony Khan gamble that he's made for the last two years or last three years where he's just gambled in the loan market and I think you know it might may have been forced um but it just does not pay off because you you lose the players you want to keep and then your whole squad is decimated and every season you have to start again um I I think yeah I think definitely Anguissa will go maybe we can keep some of our sort of best performing players of this season, uh, you know, someone like Tosin, I think you'd probably keep him uh, for the season, although he, he would have got a lot of clubs interested. Uh, Mitro, yeah, I think it's going to be very hard to keep Mitro and not playing him and uh, how well he's doing for Serbia. So it, it'll be a very interesting. Do we keep Parker as well? That's probably the, the next question. Um, and I've, I've got an opinion on that. Uh, I'll, uh... Well, what is, well let, let, let's go on to that. What, what is your opinion on that? Because I'd be, <laughs> I, I'd be very interested to hear it. I was going to say, which I'll keep to myself. Um, Parker, um, I, I think it's probably the right thing to keep him on. But personally, as, as a fan of, football as a fan of Fulham and as someone who wants to go back to games and have a good time and enjoy myself I would rather he doesn't stay on unless he completely changes his approach because this whole style that we've adopted in the Premiership it's not come from nowhere it's what we did in the Championship last year and as I said at the beginning I think people forget that last year was although we did win a lot of games we won a lot of games 1-0 and through just individual moments from from Mitrovic usually, or you know, the odd uh, Cavalero goal, and I just I can't sort of bear to go through that again and just watch sort of one nil 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 draws stutter our way through the playoffs and have one fantastic game that sort of cast over the whole rest of the season against Brentford because it, it wasn't really fun uh, and that's mad to say that for a promotion campaign and the championship is should be a, a place where you can you know, really go out express yourself and, and have a bit of fun with it and uh, I'd be interested to see if, if Parker you know stays if he can change his style um, and yeah just mix it up a bit uh, he, yeah he probably deserves the shot, but I can very much see it happening where he'll stay and then 10, 12 games in, we're not doing very well. We're, we've got a new squad trying to put it together and, and he eventually gets sacked. I'm sorry that that might happen. Yeah, no, I, I can't see both sides of the argument because on one hand, I really like Parker as a guy and I want to kind of have stability and I always think, you know, success will come out in the end if you are if you stick with a good manager and I, I do believe that Parker has good managerial qualities about him but then again you know, we do have to remember that last season was turgid and a lot of this season has been turgid as well I mean how we it says, do you really want another season of this style of football? Whilst I hate watching us lose, at least with previous management, we had some attacking flair. He says Parker out, Billich in. Um, Amari Sinclair says, do you think the club should have a long-term strategy to ensure that when we next get promoted, we are in a better position to stay up and come, become established? As the last two promotions, the strategy has always been short-term and it's cost us. For example, our heavy reliance on loans. Um, Cam, your thoughts on uh, Amari's point, really, rather than a question? 
No, I agree. It's it's been slapdash, hasn't it? It's been kind of a last minute thing. We saw it the first time, well, well, two three years ago when we got promoted, of course, and we brought in Luciano Vietto on transfer deadline day. Great signing on paper, but absolutely useless when it gets down to the nitty gritty of Premier League football. Um, and it does smack of just a temporary kind of fix. There is no real longevity to the um, the brand and you know philosophy that we're trying to instil at the club. And um, I just want to kind of touch on the whole Parker situation as well. I agree, he's a lovely bloke. He wears his heart on his sleeve and listening to his post and pretty much presses is a breath of fresh air because he says it how it is and that's what you want from somebody that's representing your club. But at the same time, he's not enticing in the slightest the way that we play. Uh, we set ourselves up for failure and the fact that we don't assert ourselves or express ourselves. And next season... Regardless of where we are, you know, if there is going to be a great escape number two or if we are going to be languishing in the championship, trying to rebuild and uh, potentially being mid-table 12 games in, um, I just think that there does need to be a drastic change behind closed doors to the fabric of the club, more or less. And if that comes to the players, of course it will. But management and the way that we seek to set up and strategize, yeah, certainly needs to change if we're going to be serious about getting promotion um, this say, this time next year. We've got to have a lot more riding on the fact that we need to be competitive and we need to be, you know, proficient and prolific. And we're just none of those things this season. And it's been so, so disheartening. Yeah. Can I also say on Parker, everyone raves about his style of clothes, but he looks shit today. <laughs> 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 did, 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 any, did anybody really rate that, you know, weird sweater thing? Like, it, it, it's weird. No. Uh, I, he's got he's gone one step too far there for me. I agree. Bit too wavy. So, mate, just chill out. Wear a t shirt or something. Right. <laughs> Honestly. Just want him to do that full, full Pulis next season. Just a complete image change. <laughs> <laughs> Tracksuit. Yeah. You know the episode of the Inbetweener where um, Carly dresses Simon mm. um, in like the pink sweater and stuff. I feel like maybe someone's trying to do this to Parker and it's just pushing him too far. <laughs> <laughs> you got Ant and Dex sitting there going, "Right, your next thing now, wear that shit sweater like that." <laughs> 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 sitting in the studio laughing at him. Like. Ben, hello. Um, I guess on Parker next season he's going to be under real pressure isn't he i guess first season it was okay yes he was expected to do well in the championship but it was his first season in management and so i guess he was given a bit of a pass his inexperience etc this season um we had our first time back in the premier league and we're not our first time back in the premier league but we were quickly back into the premier league such a short window to prepare his first time managing in the premier league next season the pressure on Parker, if he stays, if we go down, will be enormous. We'll be expected to win the league and he won't have any leeway anymore. He won't be able to play I'm a newbie card. Yeah, I, I do completely agree with that. I think there are a few mitigating factors that everyone has to take into account, whether Scott's at the club next year or not. And it's mainly to do with the question that we answered before this on on who's actually going to be in the squad next year and what, what shape do Fulham come out of this potential relegation. Um, I think that actually, I, I do think there is a large portion of, the, of, of blame to be put on Parker because we play a certain way and we don't get results. But I do think that there is an argument to say that Parker has done a good job considering that in his first full year of management, he got us out of potentially the toughest 
league in the whole of the world outside of the Premier League. Um, and uh, there has been a time, obviously, from November through till about six weeks ago, where Fulham looked like they would escape the drop. I think there is definitely some some good points about Scott. I think that there's a lot of potential around Scott, and I think that he can go on and have a great managerial career. I also think there's something to say, and I'm not a massive passion merchant, um, to be honest with you, but I, I do love that F- Scott holds Fulham in such high high regard and high esteem, and you can see that every single result means something to him. When we win, he's on top of the world. When we lose, he's sort of all the way down in the dumps. And we see that in every single presser, as Cam said. Um, I, I don't think that we'll get another manager in a long time that has Fulham ingrained in them as much as Scott Parker has Fulham ingrained in them. And I think, we, we harking back to the Kit Simons days, we always wanted one of our own to be at the helm. And I, I get that Scott's been in other places and went to Spurs and came back again. But ultimately, he is he loves Fulham. And I think that there is a case to say that he should... He should carry on next year, and I, I do get he'll be under pressure. But I think that there's there's still a great manager in Scott, despite the fact that you know the football at times is frankly awful. Yeah, I, and I fully agree with that, to be honest, Ben. And I think that I totally. But we're all on the fence, aren't we, about this? And I don't think Marco is here saying Parker out. I think we all see the advantages mm. of Parker, and I think you have to be pretty blind not to. But also, you see the limitations, and I guess it's kind of which side of the seesaw you sit on as to you know what, what do you prefer more? Do you want someone that will? And we all remember Jukanovic's football, and I guess compared to Parker, it's such a clear contrast. But also. Slavisa didn't love Fulham like Parker does, as you say, and there are massive advantages, not notably that I can actually watch pre-match and post-match press conferences and not <laughs> need to switch off after 30 seconds. Like, <laughs> Jesus. Like, I just wish that at times Slav had just done the whole translator thing like Marcelo Bielsa because yeah. it was utterly pointless. He just, it wasn't his, it wasn't even his accent. He just mumbled. Um, a question that you obviously wanted to come on to, Ben, because yeah. um, you referenced it earlier from Luke Resch. Uh, he says, potentially too early a question to ask as relegation isn't confirmed. It all but is, but yeah, I get your point. But would you sacrifice promotion next season for the sake of trying to bring through a good amount of the young players we have? Or is it a case of promotion above all else? Um, I'll start then, uh, just because I referenced the question earlier. But I think that there's a massive overhaul to be done at Fulham. And I think that a lot of people in the fan base would agree. Um, I think one of the things that is most notable is that we have so much talent in the academy that never sees the pitch. And I think that given how, how proud everyone is of the likes of uh, Carvalho and, and those kind of guys, we need to get them, and Sylvester Jasper, we need to get them on the pitch. Um, they tear up all of the leagues below. Um, Jay, Stans- Jay Stansfield does exactly the same. But we very rarely see them make that jump into the first team. I think this is something that is fundamentally flawed with Fulham as a football club is that none of our youngsters for a very long time have taken the jump. And we we we, we had a, a jewel in the crown almost in Matt O'Reilly who, who never saw first team minutes um, under Parker um, and, and threatened to, to see first team minutes under Jokanovic but never really kicked on and at the moment, I'm uh, I'm reading uh, Wings of Change, which is a, a book on uh, RB Leipzig, um, RB Salzburg, and the Red Bull Network, and they have such an identity and and a thought through process of getting youth from under 13 all the way up to the first team, and they have a pr- conceited program to do that. To uh, and I don't think Fulham do, and I, I, I 
it's so disparaging seeing all these people and, and players in the the lower age groups not making a jump. And I would, I would quite happily forego a, a, a promotion into a league where we're probably going to come straight back down again, because well, we definitely lack the the infrastructure to come to, to stay there. Um, for a club that has its identity back, has a, a conveyor belt of of talent coming through into the first team. Uh, and makes itself profitable again because at the moment we we just aren't we rely too much on loans um, and the players that we do have permanently are on fat bloated contracts and they're too old and and too lacking in quality to make any real impact on the first team I guess are we I tweeted something along these lines yesterday but the fact that Fulham haven't had a consistent mid-table season since probably 2012 has a massive part to do with that. You don't throw in youngsters into relegation fights and promotion battles, which generally you don't, unless you have a once-in-a-generation talent like Orion Sessegnon. No, I, I, I totally agree. You know, there's always players that set set the bar at youth level. But then again, Arlie's, Arlie's lads ready for a step up. Is the championship really going to be an environment where they can't thrive and prove themselves? Like, you know, a, Sil- a Sylvester Jasper, who's a an absolute baller. You know, you've got Jay Stansfield, who I can't rate highly enough. I know he's had his injury problems, but he's a real uh, a real bagsman that has a hell of a lot of potential and is in hel- held in high esteem in regard to. Um, I, I, I believe there are some, you know, we, we have real top quality in our youth system. You know, I think our, our under-18s are absolutely romping their their respective division at the moment, as are, you know, the under-23s. I believe that they're pushing higher the top of the table. So there is promise within our ranks. It's just trusting them. Because um, when do they get their opportunity? When do they really get their chance? Obviously, as a young, impressionable player, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have to be put into a difficult situation in an environment which is totally new to you. But that's how you know you find your feet at, at a professional level, and I'd like to see that come through a lot more prominently next season. I'd like to see us trust the uh, the youth that's coming through, you know, around the Kingston area, whatever, wherever they come from. You know, growing up around the area, I know the quality and standard of football that's even on you know grassroots level. It's phenomenal, um, and like like Ben says, I mean. Should we really try to change our structure and, you know, our blueprints to maybe, you know, loosely model something like an RB Leipzig where they do have a clear program and process for the youth players where they can make the grade if they work hard and they're good enough? And, you know, you've got to trust youth. So I'm complete with the fact that... I, I guess like it's all well and good saying about RB Leipzig, but... RB Leipzig play in the Bundesliga every year. They're pretty sure they're going to be in the Bundesliga every year. And obviously sometimes are in and out of European competition. Generally they're in it more than they're not. And that's why RB Leipzig can afford to put in youth players because if they play 30 minutes, okay, they might cost them a, they're not going to cost them. Like, like if you'd have put, if you'd have put in Fabio Carvalho today, he could have, well, I mean, we drew the game anyway, so what was the bloody difference? But do you know what I mean? Well, like, you, you, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't really with these youth players, aren't you? I mean, you don't really know where they're at until they get out on a professional you know, platform and prove themselves against, you know, um, verse professionals that have a hell of a lot more experience than they do. And that's ultimately where it lies for us. So we're, we're too tentative and too scared to hand these players real opportunities to prove themselves and I get what you're saying. Of course, you know, we, it's, <laughs> it's it's a bit rich trying to compare ourselves or trying to aspire to be an RB Leipzig because sadly we just never will be. But I like the model and I like the proposal, obviously, which Ben talks about where they, 
do trust their youth players and it has got benefits to it as well. I mean, of course, there's negatives to go with it, but I, 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 I trust the benefits and having someone like an Oli O'Neill in the midfield next season, I know he's still quite raw and young, but why can't we do that? We've we definitely got the youth prospect and talent to... Um, to be competitive, so throw them in and see how they see how they fare. That's what I want. It does make you slightly nervous because the the last manager to to gut the squad and go fully with youth was Felix McGath, and mm. probably that's that's probably put the Carns off ever embarking on that project again. So uh, I don't think it's going to yeah. happen with the Carns at the helm. That's, no. that's the problem we've got. They're they're always going to we, we go down. They'll want to be bouncing back up. Yeah, in order to make the money that they want and the, the prestige of a Premier League club. So, yeah, they, they, I mean, you make a good point there, Marco. The Khans are never going to settle for, oh, let's rebuild the squad for two to three years. Yeah, like, I, that, I, that, that's not. I'm not going as, as extreme as McGath. All I'm saying is that there is a, a massive hole at Fulham where, where just none of our, our youth players make it to the first team. And if you want to be a sustainable club that makes turnover, which is what the Khans ultimately want, and I, I've lost the amount of times that Shard Khan has said, we want to be self-sustainable or at least have a sustainable future. It, it all relies on youth and, and buying properly. And Fulham just fundamentally don't do either very well. There's what Shahid Khan says and there's what Tony does. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. We, we have to part with. He just waterproofs carpets, yeah. mate. <laughs> very well too. Yeah, yeah he's, he's doing a damn good job of the waterproofing those carpets, Jobs. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and then afterwards, I want to get your guys' thoughts on some of this Super League stuff. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here with Ben, Marco and Cam. And and just one thought really before we finish the podcast, um, bit of a developing story this afternoon. No doubt by the time you listen to this, um, more plans may have been um, unveiled, but a lot of talk about this supposed super league this afternoon and it looks like five or six of the of the biggest english club in tandem with some of the biggest spanish and italian clubs have all look have all decided to try and make a breakaway big european league i, I mean adrian hinchcliffe very uh optimistically asks the question if the big six join a european super league at the end of this season and all three relegation candidates stay up and the best three of the championship come up well would we still be relegated um i guess not but uh we might have won but at what cost i think would uh be would be my thoughts um jams it's it's been brewing for years mm. a, a talk of a super league it's often used as, as a threat um for the big clubs to get their own way domestically or or on the continent but this one seems to be more real than any of the perceived threats that have gone beforehand yeah completely uh there are 12 12 major clubs that have, that have signed up to this including the traditional so-called big six from england four of which aren't actually Guaranteed Champions League football next year, um, which is, I think, a little bit of a, a smash and grab effort from them to to secure potentially European football in some aspect. But I think the main thing about this is that the both La Liga, the FA, and Serie A have have come out in in tandem with the with UEFA and said that they fundamentally will not allow for this to happen and they will stop it by sporting means and judicial means if required. So I, I think that whilst the European Super League, in theory, for, the, for those teams could happen, I think in reality it probably won't and it'll probably fall flat. But I think on a deeper level, it's it's 12 clubs that are owned um, 
almost exclusively by well actually they all are owned exclusively by outside parties that that view their teams as franchises and all they want to do is use these teams as a means to make money so if you look at uh, Liverpool they're owned by uh, an American owner um, who's re- who obviously invested to get them to the Champions League uh, they won that they won that final they won the Premier League um, and now that investment has stopped because the amount of money they're making is incredible obviously you've got the Glazers at United uh, you've got Barcelona who are in, in 1 billion euros worth of debt that, that gratefully needs to get out of that Atletico Madrid who have over the past sort of like six or seven years relied almost entirely on uh, on Chinese funding to buy a lot of their players AC and Inter Milan, uh, both owned by hedge funds and Juventus, uh, who are sort of part owned by hedge funds and also um, uh, also have a sporting uh, and CEO in in the in the mould of uh, Agnelli, who has always been keen for a European Super League to maximise profit. And I think all of this is 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 driven by money. And I think the most important thing about this is that I know lo- none of the, these teams that sign up to this European Super League, and if it happens, will be able to take part in UEFA competition. So they'll just be playing themselves week in, week out. Being really harsh, it'd be nice to see them break off, everything fail, the clubs sort of not go bankrupt, but get to a point where they, they can't sustain it anymore and then they have to come back with the tails between their legs, starting in like the Is- Isthmian League um, and then trying to work their way back up. Huh. But um, I think you guys are talking about this before we got on the podcast. There's always going to be 60,000, 70,000 people that are going to watch Manchester United versus Juventus on a weekly basis because that's just what football is now. And you kind of wonder what it's going to have, what's going to happen for the for the real punter. Obviously, you see like FC United of Manchester are very popular. Um, Sol- the Salford team are very popular. Um, a few like grassroots team around Liverpool are gaining popularity now that Liverpool are almost it, it's impossible to get hold of tickets there. I think you'll you'll see the rise of grassroots and you'll see more investment in grassroots. But I think that the main traction for these top top twelve clubs is ultimately not going to happen. Yeah, and and what it will kill it for, Cam, is clubs like Fulham. Uh, and w- w- are we going to be competing with Everton and West Ham for some kind of meaningless English-only trophy that's everyone's going to kind of... It's going to feel like the Premier League's just a version of the Carabao Cup. Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of implode into that kind of a reality, but... Let the big boys have their shit masters league, you know, like like they do on Pro Evo. Let them run around <laughs> and play each other each week and just become, you know, boring, selfless entities, which they already are. Um, and I totally agree. I mean, what what does it what what does it hold for a club like us and West Ham? I mean, where's the interest and in, intrigue really going to come from? I mean, our biggest game of the season is it really going to be against someone like Everton, like? Uh, that doesn't really fill me with much uh, much optimism, and I think it's a stupid proposal anyway. I don't think it's plausible. I don't think it will work in this uh, day and age, despite the fact that people may may well like it because of the whole revenue side of things. It, it's not viable, um, and it will just make the English domestic divisions completely shit. So <laughs> I'm, I don't see it happening at all, and I just think they should leave football as it is and just uh, stop her uh, trying to tamper with it more or less. I mean, part of me in my very cynical view does see this as some way that actually now UEFA's frankly horrible proposals of the Swiss format with the Champions League will now look like a heroic proposal that saves football. Mm. I mean, part of that, and I only read this today, Marco, is that um, 
two spaces in the Champions League each season will be awarded to the teams that don't qualify but have the highest coefficient. So, for instance, this season, Liverpool and Chelsea would still qualify for next season's Champions League as things stood right now in the table, even though they're fifth and sixth, because they're highest in UEFA's bullshit coefficient <laughs> list. It's depressing, isn't it? They're, they're trying to take away any sort of competitive nature and, and replace it and trying to trying to surefire get the, the money teams in at all costs um, and any sort of exciting nature like you know the FA Cup has where any team can beat any team is, is taken away and what have you actually got to what have you got to compete for and go for if that top tier is just not not there anymore you know I, yeah, football is is about I'm going to sound a bit like Scott Parker. You know, we live in a world where <laughs> football is about, it's about, you know, concourses, the, the smell of pies, that, that walk through Bishop's Park to Craven Cottage. It's about misbehaving on trains. It's, it's not about this European Super League nonsense. You know, what are we going to be watching games played in Qatar or Dubai on, on pay-per-view between, you know, United and Real Madrid in, in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia? You know, if, if that's the way top-level football is going, I think there's going to be a reaction against that and there's going to be a split in the supporter base, which is you know, emerging and already there between who, what kind of audiences that football serves compared to football that you go and watch on, on a Saturday. I think basically what I'm trying to say, and, and I really have looked forward to saying this, is that the game has gone. it couldn't be an English podcast talking about this kind of thing without someone using the phrase the game has gone so well done Marco You've, we fully uh, hit the klaxon alright well it's been a bit of a long pod today but we had a lot to get off our chest after what we witnessed today and the news of course about this Super League but we probably should bring it to a close uh, Ben Jarman you looked after three word reviews today so part of your duty is to pick the podcast name what would you like to go for I am going to go with Katie Fazak's extra time torture for this week very very nice and yeah the torture goes on for Fulham still hanging by a thread in the Premier League but yeah it's looking pretty bleak now two weeks off for Fulham um probably much needed we can all just enjoy next weekend I guess we'll maybe have one eye on results elsewhere but quite frankly I'm gonna switch off most football I think next weekend have a couple of barbecues get myself in a pub garden and uh try and ignore all the noise uh I'd be interested to hear what you guys are going to be doing too um on Thursday Fulhamish will return uh, we'll get Peter and Jack's view on everything to do with Fulham I imagine that'll be another barrel of laughs um <laughs> it's really the way of the Fulham podcast at the moment <laughs> and don't forget next Sunday though we have got a special documentary unforgettable about the 2000-2001 promotion season what a team that was and our documentary featuring many of the names in that promotion winning side uh, is going to be released on Sunday the 25th of April so you know if you can't deal with more Fulham chat at the moment and, and quite frankly I can't blame you given how kind of depressing it all is do make sure you listen to that episode though it's going to hopefully uh, be a really nice way of reminiscing over what was a, a glorious centurion uh, title winning season for Fulham 20 years ago uh, thank you to my guest today to Cam Ramsey thank you very much thanks Len 
Thank you to Marco Di Novellis. Thank you. And thank you to Ben Jarman. Thank you, Cam. Thank you, Marco. And thank you, Sammy. Always a pleasure to have you three on the podcast. Have a good week. We'll see you on Thursday. Come on, you whites. See you.